0: Consciousness and Awareness. One of the biggest obstacles to discussing consciousness is the great many definitions of it. I find that conversations go in circles because of terminological confusion. The first order of business is to define my use of two key terms. In my experience, people have personally quirky definitions of the term consciousness, whereas everyone more or less agrees on the meaning of the term awareness. In this section for clarity, I draw a distinction between consciousness and awareness. Many such distinctions have been made in the past and here, I describe one way to parcel out the concepts. Here in figure 2.1, diagrams, the proposed relationship between the terms. The scheme has two components. The first component is the information about which I am aware. I am aware of the room. Around me, the sound of traffic from the street outside, my own body, my own thoughts and emotions, the memories brought up in my mind at the moment. All of these items are encoded in my brain as chunks of information. I am aware of a great diversity of information. The second component shown in the diagram is the act. Of being aware of the information. That, of course, is the mystery. Not all information in the brain has awareness attached to it. Indeed, most of it does not. Some extra thing or process must be required to make me aware of a specific chunk of information in my brain at a particular time. As shown in the diagram, same diagram, I use the term consciousness inclusively. It refers both to the information about which I am aware and to the process of being aware of it. In this scheme, consciousness is the more general term and awareness the more specific. Consciousness encompasses the whole of personal experience at any moment. Whereas awareness applies only to one part, an act of experi the act rather of experiencing. I acknowledge, however, that other people may have alternate, alternative definitions. I hope the present definitions will help to avoid certain types of confusion. For example, some thinkers have insisted to me quote, to explain consciousness. You must explain how i experience color touch temperature and raw sensory feeling of the world unquote. others have insisted quote, to explain consciousness you must explain how i know who i am how i am, how i know that i am there how i know that i am a person distinct from the rest of the world unquote. yet Others have said, quote, To explain consciousness, you must explain memory, because calling up memories gives me my self-identity. Unquote. Each of these suggestions involves an awareness of a specific type of knowledge. Explaining self-knowledge, for example, is in principle easy. A computer also, quote-unquote, knows what it is, It has an information file on its own specifications. It has a memory of its prior states. Self-knowledge is merely another category of knowledge. How knowledge can be encoded in the brain is not fundamentally mysterious, but how we become aware of the information is. Whether I am aware of myself as a person, or aware of the feel of a cool breeze, or aware of a color, or aware of an emotion. The awareness itself is the mystery to be explained, not the specific knowledge about which I am aware. The purpose of this book is not to explain the content of consciousness. It is not to explain the knowledge that generally composes consciousness. It is not to explain memories, or self understanding, or emotion, or vision, or touch. The purpose of this book is to present a theory of awareness. How can we become aware of any information at all? What is added to produce awareness? I will argue that the added ingredient is itself information. It is information of a specific type that serves a specific function. The following sections begin with the relationship between awareness and information and gradually build to the attention schema theory. A squirrel in the head. In this section, I use an unusual example to illustrate the idea that awareness might be information instantiated in the brain. I had a friend who was a clinical psychologist. He once told me about a patient of his The patient was delusional and thought that he had a squirrel inside his head. He was certain of it. No argument could convince him otherwise. He might agree that the condition was physically impossible or illogical, but his squirrelness transcended physics or logic. You could ask him why he was so convinced and he would report that the squirrel had nothing to do with him being convinced or not. You could ask him if he felt fur and claw on the inside of his skull, and he would say, although the squirrel did have fur and claws, his belief had nothing to do with sensing those features. The squirrel was simply there. He knew it. He had direct access to his squirrelness. Instead of Descartes' famous phrase, cogito ergo sum, this man's slogan could have been Squirrel ergo squirrel, or to be technical, scurida ergo scurida. The squirrel in the man's head possesses two, rather poses, two intellectual problems. We might call them the easy problem and the hard problem. The easy problem is to figure out how a brain might arrive at that conclusion with such certainty the brain is an information processing device not all information available to it and not all its internal processes are perfect when a person inter- introspects his or her brain is accessing internal data if the internal data is wrong or unrealistic the brain will arrive at a wrong or unrealistic conclusion not only might the conclusion be wrong but the brain might incorrectly assign a high degree of certainty to it. Level of certainty is, after all, a computation that all computations can go awry. People have been known to be dead certain of patently patently ridiculous and false information. All of these errors in computation are understandable, at least in general terms. The man's brain had evidently constructed a description of a squirrel in his head, complete with bushy tail, claws, and beady eyes. His cognitive machinery accessed that description, incorrectly assigned a high certainty of reality to it, and reported it, so much for the easy problem. But then there is a the hard problem. How can a brain, a mere assemblage of neurons, result in an actual squirrel inside the man's head. How is the squirrel produced? Where does the fur come from? Where do the claws, the tail, and the beady the little eyes come from? How does it all that rich, complex squirrel stuff emerge? And Now that is a very hard problem indeed. It seems physically impossible. No known process can lead from neuronal circuitry to squirrel. What is the magic? If we all shared that man's delusion, if it were a ubiquitous fixture of the human brain, if it were evolutionarily built into us, we would be scientifically stumped by that heart problem. We would introspect, find the squirrel in us with all its special properties, ascertain of its existence, describe it to each other and agree collectively that we each have it, and yet we, have, we would have no idea how to explain the jump with neuronal circuitry to squirrel, we would have no idea how to explain the mysterious disappearance of the squirrels on autopsy.